following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. God is good and He is uh, with us. He is for us. Uh, He wants us to have the victory and He has given us all of the equipment that we need to succeed in the Christian life. Uh, Like I said earlier, sometimes we leave victories on the table uh, that are rightfully ours. Uh, But something else we need to know is we have an enemy that's out there. Uh, He wants us to fail. He wants us to not even try. And he wants to convince us uh, that we don't have the higher ground sometimes. So two Sundays ago, we looked at King Jehoshaphat. The enemy was coming down upon him. The Lord said, all you have to do is just march forward, put your praise team in front of you. When you praise me, I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm going to set the ambushes, and I'm going to get you the victory. Tonight, we look at a different king, King Hezekiah. Uh, we are in Second Chronicles chapter 32. And we're going to march right through that, looking at different points and different things that we can learn about. Uh, his battle that he had against the king of Assyria, King Sennacherib. And so this, this account is found in several different places. Uh, Second Chronicles 32 is where we'll be looking at, but be ready to go to Second Kings chapter 18 through 20. We'll be looking at those as well. Uh, the writer of the book of Kings puts a little bit more detailed version of it in his writing. Also, the prophet Isaiah wrote about this very same battle in Isaiah chapter 37. Uh, Isaiah was the prophet at the time that this took place. He was King Hezekiah's mentor. Uh, He was his encouragement. He was the one that King Hezekiah went to uh, during this time. Let's talk about King Hezekiah just a little bit. King Hezekiah was the 13th king of Judah. He was the ninth after Jehoshaphat. Uh, he was a good king by all rules and exceptions. Uh, most people would say he was one of the best kings ever of that kingdom. Second uh, Kings chapter 18 verse 3 uh, tells a little bit about him. And uh, it tells exactly how good of a king he was. It says, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places. He broke the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Until those days, uh, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. So there was a big reformation that took place under King Hezekiah's rule. Uh, However, his father Ahaz was not such a good king. As a matter of fact, he was considered one of the wicked kings of the time. So how did such a good king come from a wicked and apostate fatherly influence such as Ahaz? So there's two things that you can learn about that particular situation. Number one, don't let your age define your ability. King Hezekiah was 25 years old when he began ruling. And he did all of these reforms. Even at a young age, he was wise. He had a heart that was passionate for the Lord. So that's the first thing you can learn about that is don't let your age define your ability. Paul told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, but be an example of believers in everything that you do. So no matter how young or how old you are, 
God can still use you and God will still use you to accomplish great things for his kingdom. The second thing you need to know about that is don't let your past define your ability. A lot of people think that they're under this generational curse and they fail to break that generational curse. Hezekiah is a prime example that no matter what your ancestors before you done, no matter what your past says, no matter what people know about you, your past does not define who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. As I mentioned this morning, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become new. And Hezekiah is a prime example of that. Be the one to break that generational curse if it exists in your family. So Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel. He also had a man of God uh, that was highly influential in his life. Uh, His name was Isaiah, the prophet, one of the greatest prophets of the time. He wrote one of the largest books in the prophets. And so Isaiah was there beside him, and he, he even made a prediction. He even told him exactly what the Lord was going to do with this evil king that was coming upon their kingdom at the time. So there's five specific things that I want to point out that we can learn from this. Uh, Some of it will sound a little bit redundant, if you remember the uh, sermon from a couple of weeks ago. But I think we can look at it in a new light because basically the biggest difference is the Lord told Jehoshaphat to go march out towards the enemy. And all King Hezekiah had to do was to stay in place, to be still and know that God was God. And during the darkness of the night, When it it seemed like the enemy was upon him the strongest, over 185,000 of the enemy had surrounded the city of Jerusalem at the time. Even in the darkest time, when it seemed like all hope was lost, God says, don't worry, I got this. I'm going to give you the victory. You're not going to have to lift a sword. You're not going to have to lift a finger. I will take care of you because I am your God. First thing that we need to see is when we're up against the enemy that we can learn from King Hezekiah is we need to learn to secure all of our defenses. Secure all of our defenses. When King Hezekiah realized that King Sennacherib was coming down upon Jerusalem, the first thing he did was making sure that there was no weak links in the city's defensive mechanisms. Beginning in verse 1. It says, after these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. He was beginning this campaign march through Judah towards Jerusalem to intimidate King Hezekiah. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. So the springs were big aqueducts that were tunneled into the city, and there was an access route for the enemy. If they knew where the entry point was outside of the city, they could tunnel through and come up where the springs came inside the city walls. That was the first thing King Hezekiah said. He said, I know that this is a weak spot. I know we need to set up some defenses here. We need to prepare every route possible that the enemy could get in. And that was one of the first things that he did. Thus many people gathered together who stopped up all the springs and the brook that ran through the land saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find such water? 
And he strengthened himself, built up all the wall that was broken, raised it up to the towers, and built another wall outside. Also he repaired the millow in the city of David, and made weapons and shields in abundance. Then he set military captains over the people, gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate, and gave them encouragement, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. Praise God that we have all the angels of heaven. The angel armies are on our side. A lot of times we look around and we see the enemy getting stronger, but we fail to remember that all of heaven is for us and on our side. And that's exactly what Hezekiah is saying here. He said, this is our enemy. God is not for him. God is for us. And all the power that God has at his disposal, he has promised that he would give us as well. He says, with him, that is with King Sennacherib, is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the result of that was this, and the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So let me ask you this question. What is your first line of defense? When you feel the enemy pressing down upon you, when you're in the dark hour of the night, when you're in the dark hour of the soul, when you think that you have no hope and all of your strength is gone, what is your first line of defense? How do you prepare yourself from an attack? From the enemy. Psalm chapter 20 verse 7 says this. It says some trust in chariots. Some in horses. But we will remember the name. Of the Lord our God. See King Sennacherib. Was proudful. He was boastful. He was the one who basically built the empire of Nineveh. The capital city of Assyria. He had a lot of pride on him. He thought he was a self-made man. And he thought he could do it all on his own. Whereas Hezekiah said, I can't do it on my own. I have to rely on the Lord. He said, with him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God. What was Hezekiah attempting to do? He was making sure that there were no weak links or areas that the enemy could easily access. What did the springs represent? That was the heartbeat of the city. Without water, the city would perish. Thirst would set in, dehydration. Those springs were the heartbeat of the city at the time. He said, that's one thing that we need to protect, and that's one place that we need to block up, because if the enemy knows they're there, they're going to have a direct line to our city, and we won't stand a chance. The heart, how do you protect your heart? Proverbs 4, 23 says this. It says to keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Not the muscle that expands and contracts circulating uh, blood through your body. But your volition, your inner being, your soul, your mind, your spirit, everything within you. That's what the heart is. And the Bible says to protect your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the springs of life. Spring the issues of life. 
So when the Apostle Paul talks about the gospel armor, one of the very pieces of defense that he talks about is the breastplate of righteousness. Protecting the heart, protecting the inner being. He knows that if you have a direct blow to your heart, you won't last long. Confidence in knowing that God is for you, protecting your heart, protecting your volition, protecting your inner being, setting up those proper defenses. Romans 8.31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What did Hezekiah do first? He, he consulted people with inside the city. He consulted some of the leaders inside of the city. He went to godly counsel. And he began to delegate. He says, here's what you need to do to set up this defense. Here's what you need to do to build up this wall. We need to protect the heartbeat of the city. We need to set up all of our defenses because the enemy is coming. This isn't his first rodeo. This isn't his first attack on a city. He says, not only do I need to protect my people, but I need to give them encouragement as well. I need to make sure that their hearts are prepared for this battle. I need to make sure that their mindset is in a way that they know that God is for us and not with the enemy that is outside of these walls. The second thing we need to be aware of and we want to have victory was we need to be aware of the enemy's tactics. Sennacherib was a professional at warfare. This wasn't his first time. His tactic was to strike fear in all of his enemies, torturing them, brutalizing them, besieging them and holding them captive until they surrendered. Satan himself is the master of deception. He has many different tactics to come at you and attack you. And if you want victory, you need to understand and you need to be alert and alert and aware of the tactics that he uses. He's been at this for a long, long time. And if you think you can get the upper hand on him, if you think you can uh, not be deceived by him, you've got another thing coming to you. Just like Sennacherib has been doing this for a long time. He's built an entire empire on it. He was a professional at warfare. He knew that if he could outweigh, if he could outlast the opponent, if he could besiege them, surround them, and just hold them hostage long enough, they would surrender and there wouldn't even be a battle involved. His tactic was to strike fear in the heart of his opponents. His tactic was to intimidate them. And that's the same tactics that Satan himself uses. Beginning in verse 9, it says this. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem, but he and all the forces with him laid siege against Lashish. To Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all Judah who were in Jerusalem, say, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, In what do you trust? What uh, that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourselves over to, in, to die by famine and by thirst, saying, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Syria. First thing Satan wants to do in his tactic is to make you doubt what God promises you. 
He wants to make you doubt that you have the victory in the upper hand. He wants to make you doubt that you have the strength that is within you that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Sennacherib was doing to Jerusalem and King Hezekiah. He said, what are you going to do? Are you going to starve to death? Are you going to die of thirst? Are you going to listen to King Hezekiah? King Hezekiah is a loser. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He was beginning to cast doubt upon the people. He wanted to get just one to surrender. He knew if he could get one to surrender, then there would be a multitude following him. Verse 12, it says, Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, You shall worship before one altar and burn incense on it? Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands in any way able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who was there among all the gods of those nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver the, his people from my hand that you, uh, your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? That's also something Satan wants to do. Is he wants to use the failures of other people and point that out to you and say, if they can't do it, neither can you. That's what Sennacherib is saying. He said, all these other cities, all of these other nations, all of these other kingdoms, they couldn't stand against me. What makes you think that you can do it as well? Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this. And do not believe him. For no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? He's trying to confuse them. He's trying to spread lies, gossip. And he's trying to tempt them into surrendering. Because he's already intimidated them. He says, I want you to look at what we've done to all these other nations. Look at how we've tortured them. Look at how we beat them down. Look at how we beat them up. Look at how we've taken them over so easily. What in the world makes you think that you can stand up against us? Hezekiah has already made the proclamation. God is for us. He is with us. And he's going to help us. And he's going to fight our battles. What does Satan try to do? Satan tries to lure us in. He tries to deceive us. He tries to make us take the easy way out. But the first thing he tries to do is he tries to make us doubt God's ability to deliver us. Satan tactic, what, what does he do? He wants to make sin look appealing. Sin invites. Sin excites. Sin delights and then it ignites. It blows up in your face. Once he lures you in and makes you surrender, he makes you lower your defenses, not protect your heart, make yourself vulnerable, and then he puts it to you. He goes in for the kill. Adrian Rogers used to say always, sin thrills and then it kills. Sin fascinates and then it assassinates. Sin deceives and then it achieves. Satan's tactic is to wear you down and make you lower your guard so he can go in for the direct kill. 
And all Sennacherib wanted to do was to gain the slightest interest into the city, and then he would have the advantage. If I can get just one person to open up a gate, if I can just get one person scared enough to where they'll open a door and give me one entrance, I can go in and take the city without any problems. And that's all Satan wants you to do is just open up the door of opportunity just the slightest bit so he can enter in, start penetrating all of your devices, wearing you down, and lowering your confidence as well. What does Sennacherib use? He uses lies during this time. That's also what Satan uses as well. Point number three, the enemy's greatest weapon is a lie. Beginning in verse 16, it says, Furthermore, his servants spoke against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to revile the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of this nations of other lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. Then they called out with a loud voice in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and trouble them that they might take the city. And they spoke against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth. The work of men's hands. Satan is the father of all lies. And Jesus point blank called him that. John chapter 8 verse 44. Here's what Jesus he said. You are the father of the devil. Uh, you are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. So where did Sennacherib come from? Where did Sennacherib get all of his information from? King Sennacherib was the son of King Sargon. King Sennacherib was the one who built Nineveh. He was a master at warfare. He had built an empire through his tactics, and he used fear and psychological warfare to his advantage. Not only does the Apostle Paul tell us to use our breastplate of righteousness, but he also says to use your helmet of salvation to protect your mind, to protect your thoughts, To protect yourself against the lies of the enemy. Look at some of the lies that Sennacher abused. He said, just as the gods of the nations of the other lands, they haven't delivered their people. Your God is not going to deliver you either. I'm sure Sennacher heard all about the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. How the Lord fought for them and, and cast all the plagues on the Egyptians while they were there. I'm sure he heard about the time when they marched over the river Jordan. When they marched around the walls of Jericho. Didn't have to fight a battle there. The Lord fought for them. I'm sure Sennacherib heard about all of those. But now he is trying to lie to the people of Jerusalem and saying, Your God cannot protect you and your God cannot deliver you. And Satan wants you to believe his lies as well. 
He wants to make you think that you're not strong enough. He wants to make you think that your prayers are going unheard. What are some of Satan's lies that he uses? Number one, God can't help you. He also tries to tell us that we can't have peace outside of obedience to God. Satan also tries to tell you this. He says, I'll give you more and better possessions than God can provide. But the biggest question, the biggest lie he tries to make us to believe is this. What has God done for you? He says, others have failed. Why would you even try? Another lie that Satan uses when he tries to tempt you. He says, no one will ever know. You'll you'll get away with it. It'll go unnoticed. He also said, just a little bit won't hurt. If you just try just a little bit of it, it's not going to hurt you at all. And that's what King Sennacherib is doing here. He's trying to make them come outside of the city, outside of their protective devices. He's saying, your God won't deliver you. He can't provide for you. What has he God done for you lately? Another lie that Satan uses is this. Everybody else is doing it. Go ahead and try it. Another lie that Satan uses, that's just the way you are. Why don't you just accept it? The number one lie that Satan wants you to believe is this. Praying doesn't do you any good. I'm going to keep you busy. I'm going to keep you focused on other things. And I'm going to make it to where you don't have any time to pray to your God. What's your first line of defense? Where's the first place that you go when you're in that dark night of the soul? When you know that the enemy is closing in on you, trying to crush you. How do you defend yourself against the lies of the enemy? By getting in the truth of God's word. Point number four. We see that Sennacherib has thrown everything that he could at King Hezekiah in the city of Jerusalem. He's tried to lure people into surrendering and coming out of the city walls. He sent letters. He sent messengers. He has done everything that he possibly could to win this battle without going into an all-out war. But God is going to give his people the victory. They stood strong. They prepared themselves. They made sure that there was no weak links in their defenses. The next step that they take is the most important one. Point number four, the Christian's greatest weapon is prayer. The Christian's greatest weapon is prayer. And far too often, it is our least used weapon. Verse number 20, look what happens. Now because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven. What's your first line of defense? But also, do you have someone that you consider to be a prayer partner? Do you have an accountability partner? Do you have someone that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you can confide in 
And in your dark night of the soul, when you know that the enemy is crushing in on you, that you can go to that person and say, I need someone to pray with me and to pray for me. Who was this prophet Isaiah? Isaiah was a writer. He's got one of the largest prophetic books in the Old Testament. He was a statesman. He loved his country. He was very, very well of the political situations. He was a reformer. He did his best to make people turn back to the Lord. He told them what they needed to hear, not necessarily what they wanted to hear. He was a prophet. He was one who told the whole truth. He was a teacher. He was a theologian. And he was very, very confident in the Lord's ability to protect those who trusted him and served him. So obviously Isaiah had prayed about this situation prior to him and Hezekiah getting together. Uh, Go to the book of Isaiah chapter 37. Because the Lord gave Isaiah the exact words that he needed to say to Hezekiah at this time. Isaiah chapter 37 beginning in verse 33. This is what the Lord told Isaiah. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it. For my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Do you have a prayer partner? Do you have somebody that can get a word from the Lord like that? Do you have somebody that can go before the throne of grace and make their petitions known on your behalf? And then come back to you and say, look, God is going to give you this victory. The enemy doesn't stand a chance. He's not even going to shoot an arrow at you. He's not going to lift a finger at you. But your God is going to give you the victory. Everybody, every Christian needs someone in their life. They can go to the Lord on their behalf the way Isaiah did for King Hezekiah. What else happened in this? Turn to 2 Kings chapter 19. We see that Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. He requested during this time that the Lord would deliver them. As I said earlier, the king, uh, the writer of the book of Kings goes into a lot more detail. We don't see exactly what Hezekiah prayed in the book of Chronicles. But here in 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 14 through 19, we see the exact prayer that Hezekiah prayed when he received these letters from King Sennacherib. And we see not only from the prophet Isaiah, but we see how crucial prayer was for King Hezekiah as well in this situation. Beginning in verse 14, it says, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. How often do you take your problems and give them to the Lord like that? As soon as you get that bad news, as soon as you get that bill in that you can't pay, as soon as you get that report from the doctor, do you just take it and spread it out before the Lord and say, Lord, this isn't my problem, this is yours. (laughs) 
That's exactly what Hezekiah is doing here. He said, God, I've got a problem on my hand. And it's not my problem. It's your problem. This is your kingdom. This is your city. This is your enemy. You've got to do something about this. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations of their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Here's the most important part right here. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand. Put you a mark by that, underline that. Because the Bible clearly says in the book of Romans that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's the specific request that Hezekiah is making right here. Lord, I'm in a situation. The enemy's surrounding me. This is the darkest time in my life that I've ever been through. Now, Lord, I pray, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth, not that King Hezekiah would get the glory for it, but he says, but that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God and you alone. And a lot of times when we do gain that victory, we fail to give God the credit for it. That's exactly what Hezekiah does. He says, I don't want this for my glory. I don't want this for the city of Jerusalem. I don't want it for the inhabitants. But I want everybody to know that you and you alone are in control. And so how did the Lord respond to this particular prayer? Keep on going in that chapter, verses 32 through 34. Here was the Lord's response to this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield. The exact words that Isaiah wrote in his book. By the way that he came, the same shall he return. He shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city and save it for my own sake, and for my servant David's sake. Go back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 26, because Isaiah records exactly what happens during this time. Isaiah 26, verses 1 through 4. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates in the righteous nation which shall keep the truth they enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. King Hezekiah took his request to the Lord. The Lord responded to King Hezekiah and the Lord responded to Isaiah, gave him a promise and he stood upon it. 
And God gave them the victory. Second Kings records that night, night, chapter 19, verse 35, and it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000 soldiers. Chronicles doesn't go into that detail. He just says that when Joseph and his people came to take away their spoil. I'm in the wrong story. Hold on just a minute. Excuse me. Beginning in verse 20 of Second Chronicles 32. Then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader, and the captain of the camp of the king of Syria. So he removed shamefaced to his own land. That night, while they slept, after they had done everything humanly possible to shore up their defenses, protect the heartbeat of the city, as they brought their knees to the Lord, that night, while they slept, God gave them the victory. I'm sure King Hezekiah had a pretty restless night. I'm sure he was worried about it. But before he even had to send out a troop, before he had to strike a blow to the enemy, before he had to shoot any arrows or do anything else, that night while they slept, as the Bible says in the book of Psalms, be still and know that I'm God. And that's exactly what Hezekiah did. During that night, while nothing else was going on, After they had brought their need to the Lord, God gave them the victory. And it wasn't just a small victory either. Wiped out every single one of them. When they awoke the next morning, there they all were, dead, gone. And Sennacherib himself was going back to his hometown. The book of James says this, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The next thing we see is Sennacherib's pride led to his destruction. Hezekiah was almost brought down by his own pride as well. The first step to defeat is pride. When we think that we can do it on our own. When we think that we don't need the Lord on our side during the battle. When we are so prideful and arrogant that we let down our defenses. We don't ask for help from anyone else. Our pride leads to our ultimate defeat. Sennacherib's pride led to his defeat. He returns shamefaced to his own land. And when he had gone into his, uh, the temple of his God, some of his own offspring, his own sons, struck him down with the sword there. And Sennacherib's pride led to his demise. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. 
and from the hand of all others and guided them on every side. And many brought gifts to, to the Lord at Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. But that particular exaltation there in the end almost got the best of Hezekiah. So the first step to failure is when we yield to sin. When we think that we can do it all under our own strength without the Lord's help. So how did Hezekiah handle the overall situation? He sought wise counsel. He delegated. He strengthened his defenses. He joined his accountability partner in a prayer meeting. And he spent time personally himself in prayer as well. Sennacherib, on the other hand, he sent his servants out to harass. He spread rumors and gossip on Hezekiah. But the crucial mistake made by Sennacherib was when he denied the Lord's strength and his ability Proverbs 16, 18 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And that's exactly what happened to Sennacherib. That's almost what happened to Hezekiah as well. There in 2 Chronicles 32, verses 24 and 25, says in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death and he prayed to the Lord and he spoke to him. And gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him. For his heart was lifted up. Therefore wrath was looming over him. And over Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself. For the pride of his heart. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them. In the days of Hezekiah. But that night, God gave them the victory. When they thought that all hope was lost, they humbled themselves, they prayed, they got together, and they petitioned the Lord. And during that night, during the darkest part of their time, God gave them the victory. And God wants to give us the victory as well. First of all, we need to secure our defenses. Be aware of the enemy's tactics. Don't fall for his lies. Your first line of defense is prayer, our greatest weapon of all. We have to do it humbly. We have to come humbly before the Lord and say, God, I can't do this on my own. God, I I want the victory. God, I believe that you will give me the victory during this time. And as Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We thank you so much for this promise that you give us, for the lessons that you show us through victories like the one you gave to Hezekiah. We know that the enemy is strong. We know that the enemy is wise. We know that the enemy is walking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We serve a God that is much stronger than that. 
We serve a God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. And your word clearly says that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, give us that victory. Give us the strength. Give us the ability to withstand the enemy when he comes closing in on us. And I pray if there's anyone here tonight, Lord God, that's going through a dark night of the soul, when they think there is no hope in sight, Lord, that you would remind them that you are for them. And when you're for them, that nothing can stand against them. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. And we just thank you so much for what you're wanting to do in and through us. Lord, help us to go forth now to claim what is rightfully ours, Lord God, to take back what the enemy has stolen. And during those dark times, Lord God, help us to see that light. Help us to see that victory. And give us those promises to cling to each and every day. And we just ask it all in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.